0: Two things this morning is the uh, I just want to encourage you to this is a free resource Crossway the publisher Crossway gave to us if you didn't get one pick one up but one per family and I would just encourage you to take holy this is Holy Week right from Palm Sunday today where Jesus entered into Jerusalem uh, to the day he was crucified and then rose from the again, again from the dead on Easter Sunday and I would just encourage you to take a chapter a day and if if it's your family. Uh, do it with your family, or uh, if it's your your housemates, or uh, if you live alone, I just encourage you to do it at the dinner table, or the breakfast table, or, or something like that, just to be thinking about uh, this good news, this Easter story of Jesus the King who gave up his life and rose again from the dead so that we might have salvation. So encourage you to do that, and then come on Easter for the lunch, and I think, are there still sign-up sheets, or do we have everything we need, Gage, for the Easter lunch and the... Easter egg hunt. Okay, if you want to contribute to the lunch, we're trying to do this together. Uh, talk to Gage, uh, and we're we're going to celebrate. I, Bridget and I have talked about our family using this week. Uh, it's it's not a Lent thing, but it's a giving up something so that on on Easter we might really celebrate uh so we're talking about giving up the like our devices the tv and 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 media for a week so that we can really party on easter uh so i just want to encourage you to think about that what would what would uh it look like for you to really focus in i'm not saying you have to do that it's not required by the bible but i just want to encourage you to think about this celebration in the in our calendar as a church uh So please come to that lunch and and, uh, let's celebrate the resurrection of Christ as we do every Sunday. So he really is risen. He is risen. He's risen indeed. (laughs) That's good. He is risen indeed. Uh, I've gotten several questions in, you know, recently about what the, what's the vision of our church? Like what's the, what, what what do we see happening uh, going forward in our church as we've, come back from COVID, and we're coming back together and 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 what what do we see in terms of ministry and getting back out at it um that's a good question Uh, i appreciate the question uh sometimes i have a hard time answering it because i i think the vision of our church is the vision of every gospel or it should be the vision of every gospel preaching church uh and I, i know sometimes I don't know everything behind the question, but sometimes we, we kind of think the vision of our church should reflect a business model, and uh, there's nothing wrong with business models of vision, but that's not quite the same thing uh, as a vision the church has, and so I'm just thankful, like, right in the, in the midst of all these questions, we have Colossians 1, Colossians 1, 24 through 29. I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, to turn there. Um, We'll have it up on the screen at times here. Uh, but Paul is setting like what the philosophy of ministry is for every gospel preaching church. So if I could say to you, like, what's, if you ask me, what's the vision of our church? I could just say Colossians 1, 24 through 29. Uh, and um, the parallel passage in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, maybe I'll just read that for you right now I, th- I think I have a slide for it It could be out of order but Ephesians 4 11 through 16 is the parallel passage to what Paul is telling the Colossians he also tells the Ephesians and he would tell us he says this he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints now we've talked about who the saints are from Colossians who are, who are the saints it's us We are the saints, right? It's not just St. Paul or St. John. It's also you, right? It's St. Jared or St. Gage, St. Jess. We are all saints. It doesn't mean you have to live a special kind of life or do a special kind of thing. It means that we are all saints because God has made us holy in Jesus Christ. And now what he says is that the job of evangelist pastors, shepherds, teachers, apostles is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So it's not just pastors who do the ministry, it's everyone in the congregation. Every member's a minister in some way, and we all have our different gifts. Uh, And he says that we're to equip one another for the work of the ministry until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and Carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are going to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. A couple of things I notice about that is one, Paul writes really long sentences and second is that what a joy it is. Like we're all invited to this together. We get to do ministry together. And this is one of those times that we uh, are equipping one another to do that. And I, I think, so just thinking about Colossians 1, through 2, 5, we're just going to take it in three headings, the goal of the ministry, the method of ministry, and the fuel of ministry, the goal, the method, the fuel, um, and so, as Becca read for us, starting in, in verse 24, uh, as we go on to 25, he, Paul starts to tell the church in Colossians and us indirectly what our method uh, or what our minist- goal of our ministry should be. And that is, chapter 1, verse 25, to make God's word fully known. He says, the church, he's, I'll, I'll summarize, he became a minister of the church. According to the stewardship of God, it's not something he took up himself. God did this. It was given to him so that, or to make the word of God fully known. The goal of Paul's ministry and a church's ministry is to make the word, God's word, fully known and to make God's people fully mature. Verse 128. So let's just start with making God's word fully known. Why does it need to be known, right? Why does it need to be known? Um, well, you, you can see in verse 26, in verse 27, in chapter 2, verse 2, that it, there was a mystery here. It was, it was sort of clouded over, you know. Um, th- there was a, there was a, a mystery. It was, it was hidden, Paul says, quite plainly. The word of God was hidden to people, but now it's revealed and it needs to be broadcasted. So false teachers had come into the church and had, had told uh, the Colossian Christians that they, they needed to do uh, something more, have something more and do something better than Jesus. And, and Paul was saying, no, that's the wrong kind of mystery. So false teachers have a different definition, and sometimes so do we. So when we think of, of mystery, you know, it's repeated these three times in 26, 27, in chapter 2, verse 2. What does that mean? It was this mysterious religion. That Paul's talking about you know um, we think that it's sort of beyond understanding an enigma you know unless you're special you know unless you're driving the mystery machine right you're Scooby and, and and Shaggy and the rest of the crew or or more like you're Sherlock right Sherlock can unlock the mysteries because the way his brain works right uh That's the sort of thing we think about with mystery, but biblical mystery actually means it was previously hidden, but now is revealed. It doesn't take a special person to do that. It doesn't take a special you and me to do that. It takes understanding who Christ is. Christ is the key that unlocks the mystery. So have you ever read the Old Testament and you're like, what does that mean? I have no clue what that means. Christ tells us in, in Luke chapter 24 that it's actually all about him. And it's our job to figure out what that means. Christ unlocks the mystery of, of Jesus hidden in the Old Testament. We have to be careful about that. Does it mean drawing a straight line from everything? Like the crimson cord in, in the story about Rahab is, is not pointing, you know, is, is, is not a metaphor for the cross. We have to be careful about that, but we have to do it well because the Old Testament, as though it's shrouded, although it's shrouded in mystery, is now fully known. And Paul says it's fully known, verse 127, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the work done, I've told, I, I talked to us last week that the, the work done outside of us at the cross, objective to us, is done uh, outside of us. But now, Paul is telling us, it's, it's actually applied to us. He says, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Your your glorious hope, your hope of sharing in God's glory, not your becoming God, but your sharing in God's glory is actually inside of you right now if you're believing in Jesus Christ. He gives you his very spirit, and so the mystery is revealed Gentiles are brought in. How? I thought they had to be circumcised. I thought they had to be Jewish. No, they have to have the spirit of God in them which comes to them by faith and repentance. And now the mystery is fully known. It's, it's we, our job is to make God's word fully known. That doesn't mean we know everything. We are in the process. So it's okay to have questions. It's appropriate. You should have questions. You should bring your questions to the text and to other mature Christians that can help you answer those. But the answers are all found in Christ. So we're always being reformed according to God's word. So the mystery, God's word is fully known by sh- showing that the mystery is unveiled. It's, it's unlocked in Christ. But in the, the mystery is also explained. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Your hope is not fully in this life right now, friend. Your hope is not fully that everything in this life will work out for you. The job you want, the spouse you want, the house you want, the grade you want. Your hope is in the future that God has secured for you in Christ and his down payment and his very spirit living in you. So the goal of ministry is to make God's word fully known. And it's in all its richness and beauty that it's unveiled has unveiled the mystery. So he says, how great among the nations, the Gentiles or the nations, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Him we make fully known. So we make him fully known so that we might present each other fully mature. Fully mature, verse 21, 28. Fully mature um, in Christ. So what does that look like? Where does that maturity begin? we're going to talk about that, okay, quickly as we work through this. Um, Where does the maturity begin? And then we'll talk about what it looks like, okay? The maturity actually begins in us, in you, inside of us, and then works outward. The the maturity um, of uh, a Christian, what does it look like? Well, it starts inside. It starts actually in the head, working to the heart, and out through the hands. One one pastor has called this gospel doctrine producing gospel culture. In our church, we talk about gospel fluency, right? That, That inward, that as we begin to speak the language of the gospel, or apply the gospel to every area of life. Like, how does the Bible apply here in this area of life? That's spiritual maturity. You start to answer those questions. You become fluent in the language of the gospel. Older older Christians said you preach the gospel to yourself. That begins to work outward and create a gospel culture. Gospel doctrine produces gospel culture. So what does that maturity look like then? Well, he says for us, beginning... In 127, he says to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's to know Christ. To know Christ as the richness of the glory you long for. And it, it happens as you get it into your head. So what we want to encourage, what I want to encourage you is to open the book and see what he says about himself, not what I say about him, not what others say about him, it, what the book says about him, and then, and then as we have that knowledge, we are we are we are un- unlocking the mystery because it is Christ. So it's to know Christ, but it's also as it works in our head and, and we, we do all that we can uh, to get that into us, it then, then works into our heart, right? We start to have gospel fluency. And so to re, it, it also means not only to know Christ, but to receive warning and teaching of the Scripture as it works into our hearts. Verse uh, Chapter 1, verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature, Gospel fluency doesn't stop in the head. We don't want to just have head knowledge. We want it to work into our heart so that it's malleable and it's soft. And, and as the spirit moves within us, we are acting out from the heart the knowledge of the riches, of the glory, of the mystery. So it's to know, and then it's to receive warning and teaching, head, heart. And then it works out into our hands, right? Right? As we take the warnings and teachings seriously, we take courage. Chapter 2, verse 2. You want to know what it looks like to be a mature Christian, know Christ, receive the warnings and, cur- and uh, teaching, and then to take courage. So he says, I haven't seen you face to face, but I- I'm telling you all these things. I've labored and toiled for you for this reason, that your hearts may be encouraged, that you might take courage. Courage to believe and act to believe it and act on it now, i, I don 't know what that looks like for you in your life. Uh, maybe it is applying the scripture in some way that 's going to be hard it 's going to maybe break up a relationship or uh, or maybe it's uh, i 'm telling the good news in such a way that this person might be offended uh, or, or or maybe it 's I have to give up something I really love. And that's going to take courage. It's, it's working out into our hands. It take courage to help and love other people. To believe and act. And then in 2, 2, it also says, chapter 2, verse 2, it also says to be unified. What does it look like to be mature? Take courage and then be unified in the gospel. Be unified in truth and love. So I think, you know, Try to think of examples of this in the life of the church since I've been here. What have have been some examples that we have seen in the life of our church of being unified in both truth and love? I, I think that over the course of COVID, our church could have broken up in really ugly ways over different responses or uh, the different ways that we have handled the, the government's asks of us. But our, our church has loved one another and has been unified. And, and even though we've disagreed about certain things, that God has unified us and left That's sign of Christian maturity. I just think of this last Wednesday night as we talked about uh, gender and, and women's roles in the church as far as I can tell, our church is unified. We may disagree and, 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 uh, and uh, disagree severely about what we believe and how we apply it. But as best I can tell, our, our church has been unified in both truth and love. And where there's gray areas, we, we must give each other grace. Believe the best. Love one another. Do you want to know what it means to be a mature Christian? Be unified in love and in truth. Truth without love is ugly and harsh. And love without truth is not actually love at all. Be mature. Know, receive, take courage, be unified. And he says this very strange thing to reach the full assurance in verses 2 and 3. To reach full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So he's connecting wisdom and knowledge, the headpiece, to assurance, the heartpiece. If you want to be assured, you need to know Christ in all his fullness. You know his full gospel. You You want to be fully mature, you need to know that you brought nothing into your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Full... Full maturity understands that it is Christ alone that has. I, I want to read from this book called *The Bruised Reed*, uh, Richard Sibbs. Um, if if you ever get depressed or wonder if Christ loves you, you should pick up this book and read it. Ver, uh, page thirty-six, he says this. I, I think it's it's getting at this. You want full assurance? You have to know Christ you have to know that salvation is all of Christ. He says, God knows we have nothing of ourselves, therefore, in the covenant of grace or salvation, we have nothing of ourselves to give. He requires no more than he gives, but gives what he requires and accepts what he gives. God knows we have nothing of ourselves to give in salvation. He, he requires no more than he gives, but gives what he requires and accepts what he gives. You want to come to full maturity in Christ, you're going to have to understand that it is all about him. He, he has done everything necessary for you. Gospel fluency knowing Christ produces assurance. And then the last thing is that we must, if we're going to be mature, we must take up this ministry ourselves. Colossians 3, 16, Paul says these very same words. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He's saying take up this ministry yourselves, even in your singing, even in your teaching and admonishing, the same words, teaching and warning. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly that you might present others mature in Christ. We're a work in progress, right? The end is full maturity, so we should, ex- but we should expect it in ourselves and others. We're a work in cro- progress, right? How many of you played sports growing up? Almost everybody. Uh, if you played sports, you, you probably remember, I remember my best coaches growing up they had expectations of me. They said, hey, this is, this is what I think your skill level is. This is what I think you can do. I think you could run harder, stop blaming asthma, and go, like, run the lines, right? But they also knew I was maturing, and they trusted the process. That's good parenting, too, right? That's, that's good teaching, You have expectations, you hold people accountable, but you know that they're maturing and you trust the process. This is what our great Christ does for us, to present each other fully mature to him. And that leads us, secondly, to the ministry methods. That's the goal, that God's word is fully presented, made known, and that the his people are presented fully mature. But if one wants to take up the ministry that God has for disciples, what should he, he or she do? And quite simply, in verse one, chapter 1, verse 28, he says that we are to proclaim. Proclaim. Him, this is Christ in his full richness and glory. Him, we proclaim. We have to, we have to tell him. Preach him, if you will. Paul made the word of God fully known to them by proclaiming it to them. Not bumper sticker ethics. Okay, that's not making Christ fully known. I mean, you know, bumper, okay. Maybe I got it wrong for this crowd. Uh, Not Instagram posts, right? Uh, If if you want people to get on board with your, you know, religious ethics, their Instagram posts and Facebook posts aren't gonna do it, friends. Have you noticed Right? Am I the only one? I mean, maybe you have a big following and you've convinced a lot of people, but I have not been able to. Or, or like billboard evangelism, right? It, thank God for it. And, you know, be, be bold and, and tell truth to, to others in love. But this is not what he's talking about here. He's talking about in depth, substantive, rational discourse. There's nothing wrong with proclaiming truth online or on a billboard or from a microphone uh, to a group of people. I'm just, what I'm saying is, though, Paul is saying, he's proclaiming to them in written form, substantive, in-depth, rational discourse. But that is not even the main point. The main point is that the, the false teachers were saying, you need the secret knowledge. You need the, if you have the secret, you can unlock this. And they weren't saying the secret is Christ. Paul is saying this is open proclamation. It's open sourced, right? It's that that thing online that's open sourced. It's for everybody. It's not for profit. So 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, we, that is the the apostles and, and those with him, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We're just presenting Christ to you freely. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to do some religious uh, rite. You don't have to do anything for it. It's open sourced, friends. It's, it's, it's here for you in, in the word. Paul's saying, as our brother Josh likes to say, to the wind with the false teachers coming into the assembly, teaching them that they needed more. That they, This is what you need to be a five-star Christian. No, all you need is Christ because he's the only five-star He's the 10 out of 10. He's the only one that's perfect. And to the wind with them coming in saying, you need the secrets of the universe. You need to be in tune with the force or have the chi or whatever. And he says this because he's concerned in chapter 2, verse 4, that they may be deluded by plausible arguments, deceived by fine-sounding words, arguments, plausibility structures. Says, don't be fooled because someone is rhetorically gifted. You have to hold up Christ in the word to every teaching you hear. So, this is a word of caution to all of us who live in an age of soundbite theology, crafty presentations, 240 character theologians, right? We, this is like. Just because it looks beautiful and sounds nice doesn't mean it's true. I have nothing against beauty and brevity. I think Christian hip-hop is one of the best ways to learn theology. You can cram so much into a few words. So it's my, you know, it's my quarterly uh, plug for Shai Lin. I think you should listen to him. That should is too strong, but if you so are so inclined. So I have nothing against the beauty and the brevity. We want to get better at our rhetorical devices so things stick. That is good, but we must not let ourselves or others be deceived by someone who can turn a phrase or craft a beautiful sentence if it's not true. So as we've said over and over, it's not. If it's not true, it cannot be beautiful. If it's not true, it cannot be beautiful. It cannot be convinc- it can, however, Paul is saying, be convincing. And that's where Paul says take care. Romans six seventeen, Paul tells us to mark out those people who are false teachers. Say who they are and avoid them. They're causing disunity in the church. Paul says, mark them out. So be careful, friends, of our podcast preachers. including me. Be careful of pastors, poets, and philosophers. Everything taught must be held up against the truth that Christ in you is the hope of glory. In him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I don't have the secret. Neither does the podcast preacher, friends. It's open sourced. It's all open to you. So be like the Bereans and hold open the word and say, is it true? And if it's true and good and beautiful, follow it. Be mature. And it's the last thing I want to notice in verse 128 is that it's for everyone. It's open source. It's for everyone. He repeats the word everyone three times. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, he's specifically talking about God's people, but there's no like special. There, there's no special parts of God's people, you know. It's not like I'm I'm the only one that can be mature because I get paid to study the scriptures. That's not what he's saying. It's it's for everyone. It's open to all. So the method of ministry is proclaiming openly to everyone who Christ is. The goal of ministry, the method of ministry, and then the fuel of ministry fuel for ministry what is it well it's not easy friends but it is suffering it starts with suffering it is power and it's joy the fuel of ministry is suffering power and joy now let's just spend a little bit of time in verse 24 now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. So right away, we could say that there is no deficiency in Christ's atoning death and resurrection. That's what the whole letter is about, right? Paul would be contradicting himself to say Christ's atoning death and resurrection was lacking, and therefore I can't count on it. Though the rest of the book, the rest of Colossians says... Christ is all. He's your only hope in life and death. And the rest of the Bible says the same thing. If you you want to look at it, look at Hebrews 9 and 10 this afternoon. What Paul is talking about, though, here, is that the work that Jesus is choosing to do through Paul from heaven by his spirit in Paul. There is still work to be done. Jesus didn't finish the work. He left that for his people to do, right? So that's why he, we need to mature in Christ because he has work for us to do at your job, in your classes, with your family, in your neighborhood. God has work for us to do and only the spiritually mature can get to work doing this. Christ in you. It's not Christ's work that's lacking salvific efficacy, it's, it's a, it is effective for you, his death and resurrection. But what he's saying is, I, I've left you to do some work. And he left Paul, and, and, and Paul's suffering is, is filling in that for the Colossians and for us. You know, Paul's suffering included prison. That's not for everybody. God doesn't have everyone suffer that way, but for Paul, that's what it was. It was special suffering for Christ. That was, was Paul's alone to suffer. But notice the goodness that comes out of this suffering. It is the very letter that we're reading. The prison epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, they come out of Paul's suffering and some of the, the richest texts in the Bible as well. They come out of Paul's imprisonment and, and suffering. It's been preserved for nearly 2,000 years. While he's in prison, a particular kind of suffering that we may or may not participate in. God is doing something good. This is the fuel for ministry. So your particular suffering right now, I don't know what it is. But God does. And if he can use prison that was meant to silence Paul... But in fact, it did the opposite. The gospel just exploded and went out everywhere, including to these Colossians, including to you and me. If he can use suffering like that to do gospel ministry, he can use yours. So how did this happen? Paul went from putting people into prison because he hated Jesus to being imprisoned. Because he loved Jesus. How does that happen? How does that happen? How does he have so much joy in prison as he toils and struggles, suffering? The only way to understand it is because in Acts chapter 9, Jesus met with Paul on the road to Damascus and said, you are persecuting me. He's like, who are you? I'm Jesus. This is how serious Paul take, uh, Jesus takes his relationship with his church. When his church is persecuted, he says he's being persecuted. And Paul got blinded, and then Jesus opened his eyes. The scales fell off. His heart was free. He rose, went forth, and followed Jesus right into suffering. Right into suffering. And he says this in chapter 2, verse 1, for this I toil, struggling. The word struggling is agonizomai. I am agonizing for you in this. So brothers and sisters, part of mature Christianhood, part of the philosophy of ministry of this church is God is calling us to work hard. Suffering in the ministry. I don't mean only paid ministry. I mean the ministry has called us all to, a servants of Christ. So as one, pa- I heard one pastor say recently, go to bed tired. there, There could be a million reasons you don't sleep, maybe you drink too much coffee, or maybe this is a hard season of life, or maybe you're worried and anxious, but don't let that reason be because you haven't worked hard in the ministry God has given you. Lay it all out there. Work as hard as you can with the energy God has given you. So whether we need to work harder because we're lazy, or we need to rest harder because we're overworking, we can turn to Jesus with a the, the spirit of power that he has put in us, and we can repent. Our toiling and, and suffering and our, our work is, is going to be used by him. Then just quickly, in verse 129, he says, uh, chapter 1, verse 29, he says, the fuel of ministry is not only suffering, it is power. It is power. Power. For this I toil, struggling with all this energy that powerfully works within me. The Spirit of Christ lives in those who have repented and turned to Christ and fuels our work. I struggle, toil, agonizing with how? With all the energy that he powerfully works in me. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. The Spirit of God who now resides in you gives you energy to do the work of, of, of ministry, of, of becoming spiritually mature and helping others do the same. So the thing is, though, Paul didn't feel it. This wasn't like a, I feel this power in me and therefore I get to work. Paul said, Paul was at work and he knew that God, it, the only way he could do what he did was that God was at work in him. God was energizing him to do it. So he's telling us, get to work. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. We, we can say we believe, but if we're not at work in maturing in the faith and helping others do the same, uh, it looks like our faith is dead. So he says, get to work with the energy that God provides What's the fuel of ministry? It's suffering, it's power, and lastly, it's joy. Notice what he said in chapter 2, verse 5: For though I am absent in body, yet am I with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul is rejoicing. He's having joy in the ministry because of their good order and the firmness of their faith. So I'm just, let's just think, friends. Let's just take some time to think of, about the evidences of grace among us. W- what are the evidences of grace among us? Paul was warning these Christians because they were tempted to believe the false teachers. And now he's saying, but I'm rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. Friends, is there, what, what is the good order among us? The firmness of our faith or the evidence of grace at work among us? This is part of the hard work we need to do. Have you noticed people in this church? Have you noticed their good order and the firmness of their faith? If you haven't, you should pay attention to it. I should pay attention. We should pay attention to it. There are people that give up their lives to teach our kids. Very busy people, by the way. Every Sunday morning, and they do it with joy so that our kids could have good order. I just, I watched them go to the bathroom right now, and I watched was, I mean, just, there was good order right there. <laughs> but except for my son. <laughs> just kidding. No, I so there is there's teaching happening there's love happening there's there's uh, informal like book clubs uh, going on there's there's times of prayer together and as as we think about ourselves starting a prayer time here uh, after Easter on Sunday mornings at, before church service how how will we will be able to see more of that good order the firmness of our faith as we talk about ministries and, and what God is doing in terms of evangelism. God is at work among us on, on the campus and in your lives and in your families as I, as I look out. So God has gifted his church, not just with pastors and teachers, but with saints, saints to do the work of the ministry, building up the body of Christ. Every member is a minister. You want to know what the vision for the church is? Every member a minister. So that we all grow up into maturity. The goal is to make God's word fully known to each other and to the world so that we might present each other fully mature to Christ. God's ordained method for us is proclaiming Christ, gospel fluency, preaching Christ to ourselves and to others. And the fuel of this kind of ministry is Christ-like suffering, power of the indwelling spirit, and the joy of the fruit he produces. Gospel doctrine, brothers and sisters, produces gospel culture. That, that's the end goal. Our, our being immersed in the gospel, it will produce a culture uh, among us that is hospitable, that believes the best, that is not suspicious but hopes all things, believes all things. That is outward. That is also going out to others with the hope of the gospel, with the, with the good of, uh, of providing for needs in the joy of the fruit he produces. So you want to know what the vision of our church is? That's it. That's how we get there. Let's pray to that end that God would use us to make him fully known and present each other fully mature. Father, we ask now that you would finish this work in our hearts. That uh, by your spirit, you would dwell in us richly. Um, you, you would be pleased to produce fruit among us uh, that is redounding to your glory. I pray that we would notice what you are doing already the evidences of grace and even now as we turn towards the lord's table we would be encouraged that uh, the fruit that you are going to produce has been assured by your death and resurrection in christ's name amen Thanks (laughs)
1: Thanks Doug. Um, <laughs> the way you ended there is just, I remember a convicting conversation that we had That, and we're, gonna, we're about to confess, so I'm going to confess <laughs> something to you guys. I was talking with Doug one time and we were talking about making disciples in the church and I was just kind of like Doug, what are we doing? And he was like, well here's some examples and he started to name people and he started talking about some of the things going on that I wasn't even aware of um, but they're happening and and so I just want to second what you just said, that they're, like, if you don't know it, start asking and, and paying more attention than I was. Um, because there are people serving and giving up their lives for the gospel regularly in this church. And when I learned that, it was inspiring to me. So I was convicted. If you have felt like, man, we got to get to work, people are at work, so join them. Um, well, we're going to uh, go into a corporate time of confession now. Um, So I'll I'll pray a short prayer, and then I'll give you guys a minute of silence um, so that you can um, talk with God on your own. And um, this morning, I'm I'm encouraged to do this um, because of the words of Peter in Acts 3 um, when he speaks about repentance. Um, He's speaking to a crowd, and he says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So I pray that this is a refreshing time for us.